0: TechSounds presents EduTrends. Welcome to the EduTrends podcast and webcast brought to you by the Institute for the Future of Education of Tecnológico de Monterrey. I am José Pepe Escamilla, Associate Director of the Institute for the Future of Education. Today's episode guest is Mercedes Mateo. Education Division Chief at the Inter-American Development Bank. It's a pleasure to have you here, Mercedes. Thank
1: you so much for having me
0: here. On um, the opposite, is uh, I have, I'm happy to have you uh, uh, from Spain and uh, in Mexico. So we are in, in different in different continents right now. Uh,
1: Absolutely.
0: On your holidays, well, I am um, a i would like to ask you uh, a question uh, about the state of uh, latin american higher education um, regarding equality opportunities and gender gap uh, based on the findings of all the research that you do in the inter-american development bank
1: thank you pepe i think um, let me let me start maybe by some basic facts about uh, higher education in the region uh, to, to get a sense of what's, what we are talking about. Uh, only 16% of workers in the region have today tertiary education. And more than half of those workers, uh, of the of the entire population of workers do not have the basic skills and competencies in reading and comprehension and numeracy. We are talking about foundational skills, basic skills, right? Um, in the last decades, uh, the region experienced an increase in enrollment in higher education Uh, now we have more students and and more diverse populations. All of that, uh, so we see, for example, in enrollment uh, that went from 19% in 1999 to 52% in 2019. Uh, We also see that access from lower income quintiles one and two and women increased in almost all the countries in the region. However, we are still lagging behind when we compare the region, the countries in the region with OECD countries where enrollment in in secondary in post-secondary education, higher education, reached 75% in 2019. So we are talking about 52% in the region versus 75% in OECD countries, both in average. Uh, however, and this is important, COVID had a negative effect in those positive trends that we've seen the last decade, had a negative effect in enrollment, in particular in those countries that had a high percentage of private education, and low access to grants and to student loans. Uh, There was something interesting also in the pandemic, which is that uh, we saw, uh, together with this decrease in enrollment on two traditional programmes, we saw an increase in demand, particularly during 2020 and forward, uh, for online courses. So that's that's also an interesting trend that that we've, we've seen. Um, the region has also experienced an emergence of new universities, public and private. So supply of higher education programs has increased and diversified. Uh, and you, around, just to give you a sense of numbers, around 23, 2300 new higher education institutions have been created with 30,000 new programs in the region. That's basically rough numbers about increase in supply of services. Also very interesting, TVET education has also increased. It represents around 35% of enrollment in countries like Colombia, Peru, and 45% in Chile, for example. However, uh, students and families still prefer university degrees instead of technical and vocational uh, educational training. And you were asking the question about gender, and yes, women remain underrepresented in science, and STEM sectors, despite the efforts that have having done in the region to increase participation. On average, only 14% of all university degrees in the region are in STEM careers, which is low compared to, to other countries. Uh, but of those, uh, less than 10% of graduates are women. So that's the striking numbers that we are, we are talking about. And and then, of course, in general, there is an issue of quality and relevance of the supply of post-secondary education programs, which tends to result, as you know, in low employability of those who who graduate. I I, I also wanna mention something here, which is um, that the problem with higher education starts before higher education. And I'll give you here just a couple of facts. One is by third grade, 48% of Latin American students have not mastered basic math concepts, and over 50% do not read and understand text as they should. So more than double the average in OECD countries. That's what number. So about learning what they learn. The second number is that approximately one out of two students in Latin American Caribbean uh, Uh, graduate graduate from secondary education. So half of them do not graduate from secondary education. They don't have a secondary education degree. And only 19% of those who graduate have the minimum skills needed to succeed in the future, either on studies or on work. So these are basically the numbers of higher education, that, as I mentioned, start uh, the, the issue starts uh, actually a little bit before higher education with uh, low learning and low graduation rates.
0: Great. Well, thanks for this uh, comprehensive uh, 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 overview of higher education in LATAM. I think that uh, uh, there are a few uh, positive things like the increase of uh, uh, universities and uh, and uh, access now in in higher education in the last years. But it seems that there is still a lot of things uh, to do, and uh, it would be hard uh, to catch up uh, to achieve at least this uh, average of OECD.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I just um, wanted to mention that uh, put that maybe the low skilled uh, People and the challenges that uh, higher education sector, secondary education sector faces, also in the context of, of a little bit on the macroeconomic context, uh, because I think this is particularly important today. Um, during the last 30 years, productivity in the region has grown at, at a rate of one percent per year, which, as you know, is very, very low. Uh, even countries in the region with the best results are lagging behind the productivity growth threshold when we compare it with other regions in the world. And some of the countries in the region had no or negative growth in the last 30 years. Um, and, and so the region is lagging behind in three key elements to uh, improve productivity. One is innovation, and I'm I'm glad that you invited me in this podcast in the in the context of the Institute of Innovation, because that's that's one of the key ingredients of increased productivity and growth. For, for the region. Uh, is, so one of the one of the factors for productivity is innovation. The other one is the business environment. But the third one is is the the lack of skills or or talent. So um that's that I think that, that that's very important in a conversation about in, in a conversation about the future of higher education and, and how we can we can actually what are the challenges and how we how can improve it um and and there is one last important point that i want to make in this uh which is that is skills accumulation uh so again when we think about strategies of uh, human development and, and talent development strategies we really need to consider that that is skills that make a difference and not necessarily the number of years that one spends in in in, in education institutions so um
0: yep yeah, i i agree with you that um um uh, there are also other paths uh, to acquire those skills and many uh, many companies complain about that because they say they have to retrain uh, people uh, in their when they hire them uh, because they don't have those skills that are expected uh, from uh, from um, graduates of universities not only uh, disciplinary skills but non-disciplinary skills uh, that are uh, very important it's also part of i think uh, uh, the problem uh, in some uh, countries uh, to find a good job after after the university.
1: Absolutely yeah, <laughs> absolutely yes.
0: So I, I would like to ask you uh, you talk very briefly about the effects of the pandemic on, on these numbers. Uh, I would like to ask you about the, the negative but also if there are some positive effects of the pandemic on, on these problems.
1: Yes, and, and I think here, Pepe, you are asking a, a critical question, given that uh, Latin America and the Caribbean is one of the most unequal regions in, in the world. Um, and the learning, <clears throat> the learning crisis uh, hit the region harder than other regions in the world, precisely because the structural conditions, the equality conditions, so the resilience of the region was lower than other, other regions. And uh, during COVID, the students had to learn from home, but uh, there were gaps in access related to technological resources, internet and virtual learning solutions, the, the abilities and the competencies of teachers to deal with with, uh, with those digital solutions and, and so on and so on. So in the region, uh, 168 million young people got disconnected. Uh, they missed on average 237 days of school to the pandemic by the end of 2021. So the longest worldwide. That was the the magnitude of the impact of of the pandemic uh, and the disconnect that happened for those students during that that period. Uh, Evidence, just to give you um, uh, some uh, overview of of what happened during during those two years, now now a little bit more than that, uh, evidence is showing that during this disruption of face-to-face interactions, in-person interactions or instruction, there was a drastic reduction in the number of hours dedicated by students and teachers to to academic activities. One out of two students did not participate in any type of learning activity or had interaction with teachers uh, during during that time. Um, Also, uh, given the digital divide, most of the countries of the region could not provide quality online instruction uh, particularly to those students that, that were in more vulnerable context, more vulnerable situation. For example, uh, 78% of the students under the age of 17 who are in public schools do not have access to the internet and only 19% had a computer at home. Uh, public schools and rural areas' synchronous interactions between teachers and, and students were less frequent, also given the low access to virtual education platforms. Um, women now, uh, what happened with young women. Um, there are several factors that um, led to somehow an exclusion from the educational system because they, there were pressure to get more involved in, in domestic chores. So the number of hours that girls aged 15 to 17 that they spend on domestic activities, cleaning, cooking, taking care of younger children, the elderly increased by 18% during the lockdown, and that compares to only a 2% increase in their uh, young males young young male counterparts. So, uh, the, the, as we see, that the impacts have different dimensions; uh, and they hit differently different different sectors of the population. Um, and also, another important factor that affected education of the, of the youngest in, in in households was the lack of employment loss of employment of the head of household because either because uh, students had to start working to provide uh, some income for for the household Also what we were talking what I was talking about I was mentioning about women taking more um, responsibilities at home uh, basically the percentage of uh, youth uh, that were living in households where the head of family uh, lost their jobs increased by nearly six percentage points in all countries during 2020. So, as a result, what we are seeing is that uh, 3.5 million students left school. Uh, The lower number of hours that the the students were engaged in in academic activities, uh, probably is going to probably lead to uh, dropout uh, for a student's age uh, between 12 and 17 uh, and an increase of this dropout. We, we probably, we estimate that the, the, the increase in dropout will be uh, of around 13% for this population. So these are some of the numbers that we've seen. And um, uh, we estimate altogether that given the the learning losses, accumulated learning losses for this generation that they could be losing in annual uh, earnings between 15,000 and 30,000 US dollars during their lifetimes, during the pandemic, which could eventually translate into an an important impact in the the Latin American and Caribbean economy, equivalent to as much as 17% of of GDP. So yeah, it had uh, very negative effects However, and you mentioned, you asked about the positive, um, and I want to finish with, with, that, with that note. Uh, the pandemic had um, a disruptive effect in, in education that um, I think we should, we should uh, see as an opportunity, right? It has changed the way we understand learning. It has opened up uh, our minds for new possibilities. Um, now, I think we are more prepared to uh, learn from anywhere at any time. Thanks to the combination of synchronous, asynchronous, um, uh, and uh, learning activities, and, and also thanks to to technology and online platforms. So I think it's uh, it's a great. In that sense, it's it's an opportunity that we haven't had uh, for decades, and um, edtech is in that context uh, very
0: promising. Thank you. Um... For your answer, so I, I was, I, I, as I was hearing you, I was thinking that what would be the, the what we have to do to avoid uh, these things to happen once again uh, in the future? How can we uh, become more uh, resilient uh, uh, the educational sector in general, in the higher education sector in particular? And if we have uh, learned the lesson and we are doing that, uh, kind of uh, actions in the different countries uh, in the region.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> I mean that's that's a great question, and I think uh, resiliency uh, as a society, but in, in education in particular, has to do with uh, uh, first with inequality. The more the more unequal a system is, the more um, you have, the more um, v- the students that are in, in the, um, the, the the less well-deserved students are in be in more uh, vulnerable situation when a crisis uh, hits. So I think that's that's one point. It's about reducing inequality, aiming for increasing the average results for all students. So that uh, access, the quality uh, of the services that are offered to the different types of students, regardless of their uh, family background, is is the same. So that they have a chance to get uh, similar educational opportunities. I think that's that's one point, and and uh, that's for me that that's the basic um, issue for me because on that bill. The the next things that I'm going to mention. One of course is connectivity, access to digital devices. Uh, when when uh, a pandemic like this hits and students get disconnected, physically disconnected from the physical space of the school, uh, you need to you need to call technology. You need to you need to be connected through through um, uh, internet, right? Uh, and so. Um, Today, I think we cannot see any longer connectivity as a luxury good. It is a right. Every single student should be connected with internet. Every single student should have access to uh, high speed, high quality internet. Uh, same, same goes for schools, uh, et cetera. So that is, that is I think, one, one key point, uh, connectivity is is essential. The second, of course, is access to digital devices and digital infrastructure—not just connectivity, but also uh, the right the right devices, the right platforms, educational platforms, so that both teachers and students can use them. Connected to that, of course, is the skills of teachers. We need to train our our teachers in digital skills. They cannot they they if they want to make an effective use of technology, they need to learn. new new pedagogies that include technology as part of the exchanges and interactions with the students, uh, but but also um, the, the, the digital skills that they need to make an effective use of these resources that they now have and that will allow them things that they were unable to do before. In a class of 30 students, it's very difficult to implement personalized learning now or in Individual learning uh, experiences now, thanks to these platforms, uh, they can they can adapt learning. They can they can measure on a daily basis real time uh, information about uh, students that are lagging behind in certain topics, etc. So that's that's uh, another another very very important um, issue that we need to work on if we want to avoid a situation like the one we we have and and then again i said that for me inequality was a structural and um i think some of the reasons why students are deserting or abandoning or their their learning trajectories is sometimes, sometimes very often for a lack of motivation that has to do with the quality of what's taught and the relevance of what's taught in in schools, in in, in universities, etc. So that that's one thing that's that's part of it, but sometimes it's also due to economic reasons. And as I mentioned before, when the head of family loses the the the, the job, either the men or the women of, of the household, um, as to students, young people need to go and work to get an an, an additional income. So um, incentives. That improve access, either through the through uh, grants, through loans, uh, etc., are absolutely needed to make sure that all of these generation of students keeps uh, keeps keeps learning uh, throughout their lives.
0: Thanks. Yes, I I'm, uh, it, it is um, uh, consistent with also things that we have seen. Uh, uh, just before the the, pan- the pandemic, uh, we did a, a study with uh, with you with the Inter American Development Bank in Latin America in nine countries. Uh, uh, we asked uh, higher education teachers what was the state of uh, technology for education in their universities, and most of them reported uh, very little training uh, and and very little effectivity of that training. So it was. Uh, not only uh, small, but not effective, no? And also they reported that there was, at least from their knowledge, uh, no strategy in the universities about the use of uh, technology in education. So I um, I want to be positive in which that uh, we have uh, learned the learned lesson and the importance of uh, uh, having uh, this uh, opportunity of um, Uh, delivering uh, education digitally, not only to enhance uh, the learning of day-to-day, but also to offer only learning and to be more resilient in the future. Uh, I I wanted to ask you also, um, what are the the main or the more important projects that uh, you are working on at the Inter-American Development Bank?
1: Yeah, um, so um, what I'm going to... I, the, the examples I want to share are very much connected to the to the points that that uh, I mentioned when you asked me the question about you know where, where are the opportunities how can we make the systems more resilient so um, I think uh, uh, as I said before you cannot change higher education if you don't start before if you don't work on what happens before so. We need to work on the two sides and we need to start downstream and we also need to work upstream in, 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 in higher education, uh, supporting higher education institutions. So let me just give you a few examples of, of, the, of the two sides of the, of the spectrum, of the education spectrum in which we, we, we need to work. Uh, first, I said, you know, we are losing students. Students are dropping out from, from school. They don't finish. Secondary education. You need today more than ever. You need a degree, at least a degree of secondary education to build on that and to uh, continue with post-secondary education, university education, higher education programs, and we need to keep on learning during our lives and during uh, the, the, the length, the entire length of our lives. So more than ever, it is critical that every single individual has a secondary education uh, degree. So uh, in that sense, we are working on. Um, three different types of programs. One is um, early warning systems, using artificial intelligence to predict uh, what those students that, that are at risk, of at imminent risk of dropout, to make sure that the schools uh, can intervene on time and support those students. So just as an example, Uruguay is now implementing and we are supporting it the most sophisticated um, early warning system in in the region. So that that's one one example of the types of programs and interventions that we are running. It's like a very very nice set of programs. Also, together with uh, trying to maintain to keep students in schools, uh, we also need to make sure. I said before, you know, students lack motivation because they are not learning well. How do you improve the learning experience? Uh, and the learning performance of the students. So for that we are implementing interventions to accelerate learning, to make sure that students learn what they need. And one of these programs is tutoring uh, that has been particularly successful during the pandemic precisely to respond to those large learning losses that we've seen in the, in the region and outside the region. And those kind of type of programs combine Cognitive skills, I've been ready, reading and math, usually uh, so the basic foundational skills, with social, emotional support, and executive functioning skills, so that students learn how to manage their time and task uh, when they when they face when when they are when they are studying. We are implementing right now those programs in more than ten countries in the region with fantastic experiences. The feedback from both. From, from, from all of them, tutors, the students and families that are seeing how the kids uh, get called uh, by, by a tutor and they work together on the different aspects of math and, and, and language and so on is beautiful. So the, this is another, and, and the existing evidence, the rigorous evidence based on randomized control trials is extremely positive. So those are very cost effective interventions that we are really promoting throughout the region right now. And and you mentioned at the beginning about gender biases, and I think that's another line of work that is critical. Downstream, again, uh, we need to increase the presence of women in STEM, but we need to start from the beginning when they are when they are when they are small. And just to give you an example, in Colombia, we are running a program that is called Small Adventurers, which is which targets girls and women uh, to support uh, deep, deep learning in in STEM. Uh, you know, women tend to use technology primarily to communicate with others, uh, while men use it for productive and work-related activities. In the region, what we know is that the problem is not access to technology. And the, the divide between men and women is not about that. It's about how they use technology. Uh, women feel, and, and that, the lack of skills, uh, of digital skills, make women feel less prepared for the jobs of the future and less familiar with how to generate income using digital platforms, using technology. So that's why it's so important to start when they are are small in in school. So with this program in Colombia, we are encouraging girls from these early years to develop their passions in math, in art, in science and technology, while at the same time creating pathways for their professional development in in this field. So this is about downstream how do you work with uh, how do you strengthen higher education by working before uh, students get into higher education? But in higher education, now uh, in a nutshell, we are working on increasing access so helping expansion and, and financial mechanisms for, for, to support students. We are also strongly partnering with private sector and supporting activity supporting this diversification of supply of higher education uh, programs. And we are also supporting, as you mentioned before, uh, work together, uh, digitalization of higher education institutions. And and here, just a few uh, quick examples. Uh, We are supporting Skills for New Industries because we believe the ecosystem is key. Uh, I know you share that vision as well. Uh, We are partnering with the private sector, with Netflix, with Amazon, with Google, or with universities like like the Tech and Monterey as well. Uh, very quick example, Netflix. Uh, we uh, worked with the Minister of Culture in Colombia, with the Sena, with Netflix, in a project that, that is called Sandbox Audiovisual. Uh, we know that the industry has great potential for growth in the region. Uh, Mexico, by the way, is one of those countries in which uh, the, the audiovisual sector is, is, is booming. Uh, when you talk to large large companies, they tell you that the problem is skilled people, is talent, they like the talent to do more productions in lack. So with this uh, alliance, with this partnership, and um, this Sandbox Audiovisual, we will train 1500 low-income youth in skills related to the audiovisual sector, and the best of them will have the opportunity to participate and get training on real productions that Netflix is currently doing in, in Colombia. So they will have access to high-end teams and equipment, and leave the experience of a production set. That's the kind of things that, that we are doing. In Peru, for example, we are working with the Minister of Education to support the expansion of public universities and, and technical and vocational uh, education uh, services. But we are also supporting Belize, Costa Rica, Colombia, Mexico, uh, in a combination of strengthening and supporting digital transformation of traditional institutions, uh, universities and, and tibet institutions, but also offering uh, different programs in combination with, with the private sector. And also, uh, as I mentioned, in terms of increasing access, uh, we are um, working on financing, a very, um, very strong um, agenda on, on, on that issue. Also in Colombia, for example, we led the development of four social impact bonds uh, and of the first pay for results fund in in the region. And in these cases, uh, financing is linked to improving uh, employability of beneficiaries. Um, We are also supporting competitive funds in Barbados, in Trinidad and Tobago to attract participation of firms in the skills uh, development strategies. uh, And the idea here is to consolidate and develop better funding and co-funding mechanisms to create incentives for the private sector's more active participation in the design and implementation of skills development uh, opportunities.
0: Thanks thanks, um, for for your answer. Very impressive uh, portfolio of of projects. And I I know that you're making a a summary of them Mercedes and I, I, I agree on all of them. I wanted to add also uh, that um, upstream uh, there's uh, uh, something that we are working in the Institute for the Future of Education around uh, also a predictive algorithm for desertion. So we know that uh, the dropout of uh, students. We know that many students in higher education drop out. So we uh, we launch uh, an open uh, an open research program uh, using data from uh, Tech de Monterrey. So we open around 10 years of data of our students. Uh, that's around 120,000 students that passed through Tech de Monterrey. Uh, and we opened that in a call for um, research. Uh, uh, we hired around 12 teams that were wanting to access this data openly. And uh, we are in the process of uh, having the results of uh, that data. What we want them to do is to improve our actual uh, predictive algorithm for dropouts uh, of students and uh, everything will be openly shared, all all the articles and the the algorithms uh, for the benefit of everyone. So we need, um, uh, what we need is also to have more anonymized data for research uh, because data in education in general is always at a level um, um, at a aggregated level, not at the level of the registry, uh, and uh, uh, we believe that uh, this kind of um, uh, endeavors uh, will be important to do for more universities and systems uh, to share the data for research purposes.
1: That's just really impressive, Pepe, and we we need to talk about that after after the post the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank, thanks. I, I think it's a, a way of, uh, of connecting our works. Uh, I, I, um, I also wanted to ask you about um, another project, which is the Coalition for Transversal Skills in the 21st Century that you're developing with several strategic partners. Uh, can you tell us uh, about this project?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a project that uh, combines uh, raising awareness about the importance of, of these kind of skills uh, with... Uh, we also um, uh, implementing programs and and generating this uh, strengthening this uh, ecosystem that uh, we were talking about before. So, we started in in October two thousand nineteen. We launched the coalition in Panama uh, with an event uh, with key um, different different actors in in the sector in 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 the region and worldwide, and we decided to join forces to. Um, Promote the development of, of these kind of what we call transversal skills, which also can be, say, they are portable, stackable, etc. And I, and why why did we do that? Because you know, um, automation uh, has changed the importance the industry gives to different types of skills. So, what are the skills that companies need and that that, that any citizen of 21st century society needs? Uh, companies want industry-specific skills, but those get rapidly outdated today. So we need, uh, you know, these training programs that quickly adapt and respond to fast-changing needs. That's that we know. But at the same time, companies also want skills that cannot be done by mach- machines, that cannot be replaced by by robots. So. Uh, people that are trained to generate new connections between people uh, and um, that were previously disconnected. Companies want people that can respond to unpredictable situations, use and understand human emotions, and solve problems, conflicts, and uh, who can generate new ideas. These are non-industry-specific skills. Those are transferable. Those are portable. Those are stackable skills. The skills that people can bring from one job to another, that can be accumulated and stacked as people will need to keep on learning, right? Um, so these 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 are the, the, the we want to put a focus in 2019 on those type of skills. And for that, we gather uh, a large coalition. We actually started with less than 25, around 20 members. And today we are over 50 members of, of the Public sector private sector uh, and and particularly of also um, the N- NGO sector but it's very uh, private sector type of led uh, coalition uh, which is also very aligned to to the vision uh, of the of the organization uh, today so uh, this is the story of the of the coalition in that context we are um, doing Different programs with um, Netflix, Google, Amazon—they are all part of the—they are a part of the, of the coalition. We run specific Netflix. The, the the coalition with Netflix and the program that I mentioned before in Colombia was born within the coalition. So by just conversations between the partners, uh, the same happened with Amazon. Wikimedia, for example, is another partner. We are also doing running programs with them. Um, uh, in in the region, so it's a space for exchanging ideas, for uh, piloting uh, projects, for um, experimenting with uh, new ways of developing talent in in the region. So that's basically in a nutshell. That's that's what we are doing in the.
0: In the very country. very interesting. Uh, I, I I believe that uh, these uh, transversal or horizontal skills are so important. Uh, right now and it's uh, documented by many studies asking also uh, employers Uh, these uh, so-called soft skills uh, that I prefer to call them uh, power skills uh, are very important and um, and many institutions say that they develop those skills but uh, when you look at curriculum and what we do in institutions, most of uh, them are not doing something specifically or uh, with a intention of, of uh, developing those skills. No, It's like if they will somehow uh, uh, spontaneously no, sprout. Uh, we, we have also a couple of uh, re- uh, research groups in the Institute for the Future of Education working around this. One of them is um, uh, Complex Thinking for All. Uh, the idea of this group is developing the macro-competency of complex thinking that includes the uh, uh, creative thinking uh, scientific thinking critical thinking uh etc and we have another group uh of uh, research working on uh developing steam uh, socially oriented interdisciplinary steam education uh for for higher education students and i will be very happy also to to share more about that with you uh mercedes um so i, I want I would love that uh, great I, I would like to ask you one, one last question, because before we uh, close uh, this uh, conversation, uh, can you tell us what your, your vision for, for the future of uh, LATAM in the following five, ten years, uh, what, what do you imagine uh, will be happening or should be happening?
1: Um, and that What really makes a difference in terms of growth is not years spent in school, uh, or an institution, educational institution, but the, really the skill, the, the capacity that we have to accumulate skills. So that means on the one hand that the industry is looking for skills and the type of skills that we were discussing before, uh, and that uh, skills can be gained through different educational alternatives, that there is not only one way of gaining those skills, there are different ways of gaining. and. That you don't necessarily need to go through a five or four or five years university degree to gain those skills, which is something very positive again in the context of today rapidly changing demands, labor market demands, and workforce skills and so on. Uh, so that's, that's one, one thing. Uh, but uh, how do we, so these are, we've, we've talked about the types of skills that the, the industry is looking and that societies need, need today. Uh, what? How do we? Do, how do we bring about training and, and education on, on those skills? And, and I think here the digital revolution and explosion of open learning and, and are producing a monumental disruption and shift in, in the education industry. And it's, it's a great opportunity. Education is moving from a factory model to a digital, personalized model, and. Uh, even if lack in the, if the region is in, in the early sta- in the early stages, there is no doubt that the digital transformation can bring to the region, a wealth of new educational opportunities and models. And I think here I see great potential to ease both the access problem and some of the quality problems that we've discussed in, 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 in the conversation. Uh, so I believe. Uh, that education is going to be increasingly modular. It's going to be constituted by more smaller, autonomous stackable uh, capsules of of, of training. We have lots of people to be trained and at the same time, uh, technical skills get very quickly outdated. Uh, In addition, companies want to know what you can do, not just what you know. So we are seeing a growing supply of services that can adjust very quickly to the shifting needs of, of the market and that is, they are moving also at the pace of technological change. So imagine now uh, the discussions that we have to change the curriculum for K12 for a four to five years degree. It takes forever. Uh, this is a gigantic, uh, gigantic task. Creating or adapting the content of a few months long program or module to the needs of the industry is much easier. So I see that uh, evolution towards something more modular more flexible, more stackable, et cetera. Um, The other thing that I think that it's very, uh, it's a a very interesting development is that when you look at the data, um, for many today, the difference between a bad or, or low income job and a better good middle to high income job could be just a matter of more digital skills. And this is something that we hadn't seen before. If people do not get a college degree to access those better jobs, that could be, um, you know, if they don't need that, that can be good news in a market that is begging for more more upskill and reskill people very fast. But also for social mobility, for the prosperity of those individuals that are searching for better economic opportunities. So I see there. Uh, a great opportunity as well. Um, the other thing is okay, who pays for this? <laughs> how can we make this uh, affordable? Uh, how do you reduce cost of access to these high quality, highly relevant uh, training capsules? Well, well, technology again is part of the solution. The market knows it. Uh, it's re- already offering a lot of alternatives to prepare talent quickly. And I mentioned before the tutoring experiences, so you can really combine in person uh, so um, through through online, through phone, etc, you can combine uh, personalized support with a real person uh, with at the same time uh, you know uh, learning platforms that where you can you can actually follow your own uh, learning learning experience. so, yeah, I, that, that, that's how I see the future. You, you might ask now, Pepe, well, uh, do you think universities will still be relevant? Yeah, yeah. The answer would be absolutely yes. Uh, I think uh, uh, universities and alternative credentials, these kind of other more flexible ways of skilling and, uh, and reskilling people are going to, to coexist. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I actually see a very, uh, I tend to be optimistic, so I see, I see that uh, very uh, promising developments in, in what's happening right now in the region, and I hope we really take this opportunity to make the, 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 big, um, the big leapfrog that, that we need.
0: Thanks for your answer, uh, Mercedes. I I agree with you. I think that it's important that universities develop the capabilities for digital learning, but also to develop these more uh, industry-oriented programs, uh, modular programs, stackable uh, programs. I think universities can do a a great job there, and it will be important to develop these capacities in universities and also to develop the, the incentives or the public policies necessary to Uh, to make them bloom no, and and that will be a way of uh, uh, reducing the the cost uh, and access uh, of of education Uh, so having more people uh, having these programs will get them better jobs and increase uh, social mobility I want to finish uh, this uh, conversation right now with you Mercedes giving you a big thank you uh, for your time and for sharing with us your views uh, on on education in, in LATAM and and your work uh, in the Inter-American Development Bank—it's uh, 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 breathtaking when we see the, the big portfolio of projects uh, that you have. I, I wish I can invite you in, in the future to see how things are going and what's the n- new things that you are doing in the in the bank. I, I'm sure also that uh, this uh, talk uh, will be enjoyable by our audience uh, of the edutrends podcast of the Institute for the Future of Applications. Thank you very much. For more information, visit observatory.tech.mx slash edutrendspodcast and ife.tech.mx. A special thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey, the Institute for the Future of Education and the Tech Sounds team. TechSounds producer, Miguel Mejia. Trans producers Esteban Venegas and Christian Gijosa. Stay tuned and play Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content.